Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Mo Lewis, the Prevention Specialist at NSVRC. On today's episode, I'm talking with Carrie Kessler, one of the lead authors of the FLASH curriculum about sexual health education and sexual assault prevention in schools. I am Mo Lewis with the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and I'm here today with Carrie Kessler, who's one of the lead authors of Flash. And Carrie, we've known each other for a really long time, and been I've been so lucky to be able to work with you um, through this project and some other projects. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I would be glad to. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be here and talk to you today. Um, So like you said, my name is Carrie Kessler. I work for um, Public Health of Seattle and King County, who um, is the publisher, the developer and publisher of the FLASH curriculum. And I am one of the lead authors of FLASH. Um, I have been at public health now for over 15 years, um, but I did come to this work originally through my work in the sexual violence prevention field. So I did work previously um, here in King County um, doing sexual violence prevention work. And then I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to keep addressing sexual violence prevention. And it became more and more clear to me that the way to do that was to go broader and be able to look at sexuality and sexual health more broadly and look at sexual violence prevention within that context. And so I was really lucky that (laughs) the public health hired me to do that. And I've been here ever since. And I've been working, Flash has been um, the bulk of my work for about the last maybe seven or eight years. Um, But also, you know, over the time that I've been here at public health, I've done a lot of work um, in schools um, and with teachers and young people, done a lot of trainings with um, doctors and nurses um, about a whole variety of sexual health related topics. So not only sexual violence prevention, but, um, you know, sexual health much more broadly. So, and that is how I came to be here. And so then you and I, Mo, we got to work together on the Flash um, sexual violence prevention lessons. So I was really lucky to get to work with you and Becky Reitzes from our team at Public Health and Rebecca Milliman from Harborview. We all worked really hard on the um, sexual violence lessons. And then Andrea Gerber, who's the other lead author of the curriculum, she and I have worked on them a lot since. And obviously she and I have worked on all of the rest of the lessons. So it was just a really solid team overall. Um, and I think it's really reflected in the in the quality of the lessons. I agree. It was really so much fun. And I learned so much doing that process with you all. As someone who doesn't live in Seattle, I live um, outside of King County. I was really surprised at how everybody really knows about Flash. It's really ubiquitous. It's a sexual health education that a lot of kids have gone through and gotten. And um, so I'm just wondering for the folks who are not as maybe familiar, maybe don't live in the King County area, can you tell us more about Flash and you know what it entails and encompasses? Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, so Flash is, uh, is a, a comprehensive sexual health education curricula. We have... Um, 
uh, elementary, middle, high school, and special ed lessons. So each of those are kind of a different binder of lessons. And um, it was developed, Flash was originally developed here in King County in the, in the 80s, actually, to just really fill a need that we saw locally for high quality sexual health education lessons that teachers could use in their public school classrooms. So um, obviously it has been updated since the 80s, both for, you know, medical advances, but also as what we've learned about how to do effective sexual health education has changed. That field has grown a lot in the last 20 years. And so, you know, we update Flash as we, um, you know, when we know better, we do better, right? And so we've updated it in that way. Um, and even though it started here just in King County, Flash is used now all over the United States, in all parts of the United States. I think in the last, we were just looking at this, and in the last five years, I think we've sold Flash in, I think it's 41 different states here in the in the U.S. and wow. internationally. Yeah, so it just is really, um, I think that need that we saw here in King County is the same need that exists elsewhere. And the lessons were really developed, as you know, um, because you were part of helping to develop some of those lessons, they're really developed with teachers and students in mind, and they're developed in partnership with schools, and they're um, and we get a lot of feedback from schools and we refine and revise them. So I think um, one of the other reasons that it tends to be so popular is that it is just such a good match for schools, whereas some other curricula have been developed for use in um, out of school settings and then get sort of lifted and adapted for use in the classroom. Um, or schools sometimes use textbooks which cover, um, you know, information that you need, but don't have more of that, um, that don't, but don't have that same kind of theoretical backing that, that, you know, sex ed, evidence-based sex ed curricula have. And so Flash kind of fills this, um, hits that sweet spot really of, of being well-designed for schools, but also being firmly grounded in public health land and, um, you know, being a curricula that's designed to, to, to change behavior so that it can prevent pregnancy and STDs. Is that what you asked me or did I just start talking about a whole bunch of stuff? Oh no, that's why I asked you. <laughs> I just asked you to tell me about it and you definitely okay. did. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I really like Flash. I mean, the thing that I, the thing that I have noticed as we went through this process of updating it and, and pilot testing it, which is something that I was not like super familiar with going into classrooms and leading lessons is how interactive it is mm. and how much, um, and how much stuff there is for students to do that. It's not just someone, you know, talking at them. There are really all these activities for people to engage with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, what we, what we do in flash is, um, we, have, well, we have a few goals. So the goals of the program of the middle and high school um, lessons in particular are to um, decrease teen pregnancy, to decrease um, STDs, including HIV, to decrease sexual violence, to increase family communication, and to just generally improve students' um, knowledge about sexual health. And so we do that by being really grounded in um, the literature about effective um, sexual health and sexual violence programming and being really grounded in the most current educational literature. And so we know that um, 
students learn best when they're when they can be engaged when the activities feel relevant and personal to them where there's opportunities for them to contribute and be taken seriously but but where they're not you know put on the spot right where they um, feel respected where they're not judged or shamed so you know we try to put all of those things together and then just really follow what the literature has to say about um, promoting positive attitudes and promoting um, positive tier, peer norms and helping young people develop the skills that they need to be able to um, prevent pregnancy and STDs for themselves and to prevent themselves from committing an act of sexual violence. So why don't we get into the a little bit about the sexual violence prevention lessons because I know those were changed so much um, and we went through a really long rigorous process of updating those. And so I'm wondering if you could share some of the changes that we made um, through that process and, and why we chose to do that. Uh, so the sexual violence lessons, you're right, we did really, the when, when we, the high school curriculum was um, completely redesigned in 2015. And so the sexual violence lessons were a part of that redesign, but all of the lessons were really redesigned, um, at, mostly to really um, align as tightly as possible with the most current research. Um, and uh, there was some new research about sexual violence prevention at that time that was really helpful to us. So the, the, the sexual health lessons um, align with primarily with a set of risk and protective factors that were identified by Karen Coyle and Doug Kirby at ETR and Associates. And you can find those in a publication called Emerging Answers. And so those protective factors are really what let us know that we needed to focus on promoting positive attitudes and positive peer norms. So positive attitudes about birth control, positive attitudes about abstinence, um, positive peer norms means that you believe that your peers are also doing these things like um, protecting themselves from pregnancy and STDs. So, um, so, so that's our approach in Flash. And um, a around the same time that we were doing this redevelopment, not long before um, the sexual violence prevention field had also started to really, there had been an, an article that came out that the CDC really helped to distill and, um, and, and put up on their website in this really useful way that really laid out a set of at the time, it was entirely risk factors. Now there's a few protective factors also, but um, risk factors for um, committing an act of sexual violence. And I think that's a really important thing to point out. Um, the literature in general is really clear that the way that you prevent sexual violence is that you help prevent people from committing acts of sexual violence, as opposed to um, trying to help people prevent their own victimization. Um, the, the research is clear that um, there's not a lot you can do to help people prevent their victimization. And that at a population level, even if you could prevent individual people from, um, from being victimized, if you don't stop that act of sexual violence, then it's just that a different person becomes the victim. You haven't actually lowered your overall population levels of sexual violence. So anyway, I, just to be... Um, just to be super clear, um, that's the approach that we take in FLASH, and that's the approach that the CDC takes. Those risk factors on their um, 
that they've laid out so nicely. If you just Google CDC sexual violence risk factors, you'll just pop them right up. Um, so, so we used those risk factors in the same way that we use risk and protective factors in the rest of the curriculum to design our lessons to try to impact those risk factors, which were primarily um, attitudes and and beliefs just the same as right so it so right. it fits it fits overall into the the theory of reasoned action which is the overall theoretical underpinnings for the curriculum so it really helped us put together this very cohesive package and um, a, a chunk a a sizable chunk of those risk factors. We also have to think about what are risk factors that we can meaningfully impact in a classroom setting. You know, so there may be risk factors that exist in say, you know, the neighborhood level, right? That we can't do a lot about or risk factors that are related to, um, you know, a person living in poverty. And, and although we could certainly, the uh, schools can, can partner with other organizations to do things to alleviate that in a, in a sex ed curriculum, that's not a thing that we can make a big impact on. So really drilling down on what do we think we can impact. And we, we do think that we, we know that we can impact um, attitudes and beliefs in a classroom. And most of those attitudes and beliefs are actually about gender. So the CDC very clearly lays out that um, rigid belief in um, gender stereotypes and in particular, um, you know, hostility towards women and hypermasculinity, that these are all risk factors um, that place people at risk of committing an act of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. So um, those are not the only things that we look at in the sexual violence lessons, but it certainly is. Um, a very important thing that we look at, both in those in those lessons and really across the curricula, you know. And then we looked at other effective practices, like um, what was really the best way to reset a norm, for example, as we're looking at positive peer norms. So we incorporated a um, a small norm, like social norms campaign, you know, that draws on, you know, what they would call like hyperlocal data, like from that classroom, you know, to help students. If you're not familiar with social norms campaigns, it's about um, it's, it's based on this, um, on the phenomenon that people, all people, not just young people, believe that their peers or that other people are taking more risks than they actually are in real life. So, and that even though we would all like to believe that it's not true of us, <laughs> it is true that we modify our behavior based on what we think other people are doing. And so social norms campaigns help um, draw out that super local data to show people what the folks around them really do believe and what they really are doing at, so that that can shift people's consciousness about what is no normal, if you will, or, you know, common typical behavior. And it leads everyone then to take less risks. So those social norms campaigns are used in public health about, you know, a whole variety of things. And we included one of a, a small social norms campaign in um, Flash. So, um, and then finally, one of the other um, really compelling pieces of evidence is that um, folks who commit acts of sexual violence are also more likely to have, um, is it called affirmation bias? I may have just said the wrong word, but they're basically, they're more, um, they're more likely to interpret an ambiguous response as a yes, right? So they need help understanding, they need help really concretely 
understanding what is and is not consent um, because they are they're they're more likely to interpret a vague response as as permission to to engage in sexual activity when in fact it's not so um, so we um, so we did a lot of work on really helping to get really crystal clear on consent so those are some of the things that we did in that redesign that drew from you know, what was a pretty new research at the time. And, um, and I am, I'm just so excited that we were able to do it because, you know, Flash is one of the only comprehensive sex ed curricula that have um, sexual violence prevention lessons in them. And certainly that have, you know, these kind of evidence-informed lessons in them. And then, you know, just one more thing that I feel I'm talking a lot, but I'll just say one more thing, which is that say it all. (laughs) So we were just able to evaluate Flash. And I want to say, oh, yes, yes, we were able to. And I am sad to say that we weren't able to evaluate the sexual violence outcomes, um, but we will be doing some analysis on the the um, gender beliefs and on the homophobia scale um, to see how we were able to impact those. And I know already that we had some positive impact on um, homophobia beliefs. And so I'm hopeful about some of the other stuff. We don't have that yet. Um, But we do know that this model that I'm describing is an effective model because we did show that Flash was effective at um, changing behaviors and um, attitudes and beliefs that are related to teen pregnancy and STD. So FLASH is now like a proven program or an evidence-based program related to teen pregnancy and STD prevention. And if we can ever, um, you know, find, maybe there's a listener right now. Yes, (laughs) attention researchers who are listening. Yes, we would very much like to to review Flash for its um, sexual violence impact because we feel, um, I mean, maybe we're wrong, but I we feel really confident in this approach. It's 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 very tightly tied to the to the research, and so. Um, but anyway, that's that's a, that was a long answer to your question. Oh, I think it's great. You're really getting at the things that I was hoping you would be able to share and talk about, and it brings back so many good memories of being in the classroom, doing pilot testing and like telling students like, okay, we're testing this. So tell us, tell us what we're messing up. And (laughs) we messed up a lot of stuff with like, Mm -hmm. um, TikTok was not, was not out yet, but we were like, do people go on, on Facebook still? And even then they were like, no, not really. They had lots of corrections for us. And the, um, the social norms resetting survey was one of the most interesting pieces to me um, just because you get to like really get that data from the students and then you, you know you crunch the data a little bit but it's not too hard and you present it back to folks and and it really does make people go oh okay people are really more like me than I thought and that means that I can feel better in the good decisions that I'm making or the good decisions that I want to make and that was really fun. It's amazing, Mo, actually, too, that it works every single time. And we've taught this now, those lessons in particular, because, you know, because of the evaluation, Flash has been taught so many times with exact fidelity, you know, as a part of the that evaluation. And then also, like I said, two people just use it all over. And um, every time it's, it, I mean, I know this, and yet it continues to be surprising to me that every time in every classroom students 
think that their peers are less likely, that their peers value consent less than they do. I mean, right, Mm -hmm. that their peers are more likely to pressure or coerce or force someone to have sex than they would be, right? That's, I mean, every, just every time (laughs) in every setting, even in, even in juvie, I mean, everywhere that we've done it, everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, it's really compelling to me. It makes me feel really hopeful. I mean, I feel like you could do a, you could do a survey with like people who do sexual assault prevention work and we'd probably have a similar thing that happens where maybe that's just our human, the thing you were talking about, our human bias of like, mm-hmm. we think that our decisions are, are better or yeah, better somehow. <laughs> well, or we really, or we really underestimate our our peers or, or, or I don't know what, or we're so influenced by other messages or, I I mean, I don't exactly know what it is, but it's, um, it's clearly true. I love it. I mean, and I love that it keeps happening and it's so compelling and yeah, it's such a good memory of that. So let me ask you this question because, you know, we were talking a little bit about the evaluation of flash and how, you know, there's not a ton of things out there for sexual assault prevention that, you know, is considered evidence-based in this way where there's like mm-hmm. this rigorous testing, a randomized controlled trial, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We have a lot of things that are very, um, you know, specific to communities, a lot of frameworks that people can use and do really great work. Um, so one of the things that I am wondering about Flash in particular is that, because students are not the same everywhere, you know, it's being used a lot of different places and, you know, students are not all the same race or ethnicity. They don't all have the same cultural backgrounds or like religious beliefs or family structure Mm -hmm. or, you know, gender and sexual orientation. There's just so much diversity within groups of students and different populations of schools and students. I'm just wondering how FLASH meets those needs as like a single curriculum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think, I think it's really important to have um, some of these programs that you were mentioning that are really targeted, you know, programs for, um, you know, youth who have been in foster care programs for youth in urban settings, programs for Native youth, programs for queer youth, right? I mean, I think those sure. programs are really important. Um and I think from a public health perspective, it's also really important to have something that exists at the population level. And so, you know, because this is because I work for public health, Flash is very much a public health curriculum. That is what we try to do is create this thing that works um, that works in that way. Um, and and we thought that it did. And I would say that the evaluation helped us see that it really does. I mean, our evaluation sites were in the Midwest and in the South, and they were in urban, rural, and suburban districts. And um, we got a lot of feedback about how Flash worked, and it worked really well in all of those settings. So I feel confident now to say that the approaches that we use are pretty broadly applicable. So, um, uh I mean, there are, there are modifications that people make sometimes primarily to like the names and the scenarios and you know what I mean? To make things feel more relevant. Um, But there's also just, there are, there are practices I think embedded in flash that help it to be really um, responsive to whoever is there using it. So for example, the flash values 
question protocol, which is just a really critical component, um, a core component of the curriculum. Is One of my a, favorite things. It is. I feel like, yeah, we could just, I feel like we could all use it in our lives, like answering yeah. hard questions or, you know, your kid gives you this question and you're like, I actually don't know how to answer that. And you can use that values protocol. Well, it's really helpful for when you're trying to, I mean, what it is, is it's a protocol for answering a question about a value or about a value-laden topic. And so for teachers, it's really important that teachers not share their values about these topics um, because that is exactly how you do not need meet the needs of all of the students in the classroom. These students come with a whole variety of different values and beliefs um, informed, you know, by their own lives, but also, of course, by their families, by their faith, by their culture, by their experiences, you know, and, and we need to, we need to respect and really honor that diversity of opinion. Um, and that's honestly, it's also how you create a climate that is um, safe and in which everyone can feel like they can really learn this material. So anyway, that, that protocol, that, um, set of steps that we have that helps um, teachers or facilitators answer questions in this way that shares a, a breadth of values about um, the topic, as opposed to, you know, answering with a, a one concrete answer that would really alienate parts of your classroom. That's a really important way that we, um, that we uh, meet the needs of like the diverse group of learners that's in front of us. We also have uh, family homework assignments that are about values, right? So, so students have homework. They're not required. They're optional assignments, but um, each flash lesson has a, either an individual or a family homework. So the students get to choose for themselves and, um, and those homework assignments with parents or guardians with fam, we say with, we say with family or someone who is like family, right? Is how we sort of, we want to be open so that people can talk to the folks who are meaningful in their lives, but we also are not really trying to invite you know, predators to come and do these homework assignments yeah. with kids. And I can say that because we're here on this sexual violence podcast. So people understand what I'm saying. So, yeah. um, so, but those assignments are about, they give these, these adults, these meaningful adults in kids' lives an opportunity to share values and expectations um, that are really specific to maybe, maybe not to their community, to their experience, to their faith, you know? And so that's another way I think that we are um, really responsive and also really transparent and really just lay, these things are more, they lay the framework, you know what I mean? For, um, for that kind of responsiveness, because obviously we can't know all the places where flash is being used. It's not as if we could say all the things, you know what I mean? Right. Um, we do also really try and um, to speak really concretely and matter-of-factly about trauma, about oppression, about power imbalance. I mean, we try to just name those things and be really upfront about them, which I think also helps, you know, I think that helps um, the curricula feel um, really responsive to all of the young people who are participating in it. Um, and, and in terms of um, LGBTQ inclusivity in particular, we, that's one of the goals. Well, I mean, it's not a behavioral goal of the curriculum, but it's one of the fundamental goals of the curriculum is to be a really inclusive curricula in that way. And so we have a whole set of strategies that we employ throughout the whole curricula to really make sure that queer youth 
um, really see themselves in the curriculum and see it as um, being relevant for them. I'm so happy to be talking to you about this and getting to hear how, how far Flash is going and how people are using it. Um, I do have this question about like the situation that we're in now with COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a thing. And so many people are not in school. And so this is, I've just been really wondering this and I don't know why I haven't reached out to you before now to say like, what actually is happening? But I'm really curious about Flash um, being used online. Is that a thing that can happen? Is it, is it happening right now? Do you have information about that? Yeah, it's a really good question. People are doing, I mean, what a time for, um, for, for creativity, right? I mean, schools are, yeah, schools are trying and doing so many different things. So um, it's just been fascinating. We've been, we have been thinking, we've been working on developing um, some asynchronous online flash lessons. And so Um, We have some high school lessons developed now that we're just piloting right now and that should be available very soon for anyone who um, already, you know, has already purchased Flash or or it would come with the purchase, you know, of the Flash license or the the hard copy of the curricula. Um, But, you know, the foundational practices of Flash, like to be inclusive, to be trauma-informed, to have healthy boundaries to, you know what I mean? Thinking about how to do all of that stuff in an online format has been really interesting. Um, Also, we were like, gosh, it's, we decided really early on that we needed to be asynchronous because um, students just don't have equitable access to um, the internet and people don't have private spaces always in their home. And, um, you know, the home is, is the site of trauma for a lot of young people. And so asking them to sort of sit and do a live um, sex ed class is, we just didn't think it was, we didn't think it was trauma-informed. We didn't think it was equitable and we didn't think it was trauma-informed. Um, but it's, I understand why people are, are doing it. It's no shade to people who have made a different decision because also you can't really develop skills if that's what you're trying to do with a fully asynchronous I mean, there's very few skill. You can't do a condom demo. You can't, you know what I mean? You can't, the, yeah. it's what you can do is limited. Um, also, of course, you know, young people who are experiencing so much stress, like they can only just sit and do a lesson or watch a video or they can just only do it for so long. It's just like, you know, like we would say, I'm from Texas, we would say it's like trying to get blood from a turnip, right? You can't, it's just, it's not there. You know what I mean? Like you just can't do it. So, so um, what we decided is that we just had to make some very hard decisions. We decided to focus on promoting positive attitudes because we felt like that was a thing that we could likely do. And we made lessons short and we made them asynchronous and we made them such that they could even just be the packets could be printed up and handed out so that people didn't have to um, access the internet if they couldn't. So that's, like I say, we're piloting all of that right now, but those were the considerations that we 
the things that we took into consideration. We also were very concerned about, I mean, relatedly in a synchronous lesson, we were really concerned about um, handling students' questions in this online format. Um, We were concerned about people sending questions back and forth across the internet to each other or typing them in the chat, or we just felt like it was, we really want people to get their questions answered, but we also were really um, concerned about how to really hold um, healthy boundaries. So I think, I think what we had to just really remind ourselves is that like, there's some stuff you have to give up to do it this way, but obviously we're all giving up a bunch of stuff already right now. There's not a solution for this, just like there's not a solution for any of the rest of it. We just have to do the very best that we can do and be ready to let go of what can't be done, you know? Yeah, it's so true. And I really like hearing the considerations that you have brought into thinking about like what, like what really rises to the top? Like what's the thing that we can do um, in this way that we're able to, and what, like, what's the most important, what can we, yeah, what can we get done? It is a time of weird creativity. There's some fun things that are happening that I, that I think is really great, even in an unfortunate time. Well, this is really, I'm just so happy that we have gotten to talk about this. I have been actually taking some notes of things that you've mentioned so that I can put them in the podcast notes so that people can like, oh, okay. you know, download them or find them. I think it's probably on the website where people can look at Flash, but I think I would also just say that if people had questions about Flash, they can email um, flash at kingcounty.gov. And that's our, that's our flash inbox. And so we can, um, we can answer their questions there. And, um, you know, I think I also want to say, I didn't get a chance to mention it earlier. So, so high school flash is a 15 lesson curricula um, that covers, you know, all these goals about STDs and pregnancy and sexual violence. But we also have had um in addition to schools, we've worked with a lot of sexual violence centers across the United States who have bought Flash specifically to use the sexual violence lessons that are in it. So just a reminder that that's a thing that can happen because I know when I was working, you know, as a sexual violence prevention educator, I was just scrambling looking for lessons all the time to to teach with young people. I was adapting things or making things up or, you know, um, so I think some folks have been so pleased to be able to, to buy the curriculum and then they have this like ready to go set of lessons right there. And all the better if your district is using Flash and so it fits right into it. But even if they're not, you know, they're just really solid sexual violence prevention lessons. And so people should definitely, folks in the field should definitely think of Flash as a resource in that way. I agree. They're not too long either. They're pretty short and snappy and they give you the information and they build on each other. And yeah, yeah, I really like it. I'm such a fan. It's just been really nice getting to talk to you about this, getting to hear about the updates with Flash, how it's doing, especially about the evaluation and hearing all the people who are using it around the country. That's just so exciting. So thanks for being here, Carrie. 
Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been super fun to get to to talk about this with you. And I especially, you know, that it's sexual violence prevention is near and dear to my heart. So especially when I get to talk with folks about um, about the sexual violence component of I'm always so pleased to be able to do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.